Acts 11, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Peter on. I'm really happy to be back because last Sunday I was actually away. I wasn't here. Uh, my wife and I went away for the weekend. We do that every quarter, about four times a year. We try to get away for about, about, probably about an hour's, at least an hour's drive away from home. My kids are older now. I have a 17-year-old, and I also have a pit bull at the house. So we feel very comfortable leaving them alone at home. And so my wife and I like to go away. And it's really our intentional time, at least on a quarterly basis, for us to really pour into each other with encouragement. It's really key for us. And we've been doing this now for over a year. We really, we're enjoying it. We're looking forward to it. And it's an opportunity for us to sit down, encourage one another through our words, to share also in ways and how we can encourage each other to be a better husband and be a better wife to each other. And so that's really awesome that we get to do that. It's also an opportunity for us to encourage each other with our actions through affection and just, you know, and, and just through other means and just to connect and show one another how much we really are still committed after being together for almost 20 years. And it's, it was so good that I kind of, I'm excited for May. I'm doing a wedding down in Florida. And so my wife and I are going. We're going to stay a few extra days and we're going to do our uh, second quarter gathering uh, in, in, uh, in Florida, and we're really looking forward to that. And I just thought to myself, our world would be a different place if we can actually spend intentional time encouraging each other. I wonder how different we would be today if we actually grew up in a home where our parents encouraged us. I think a lot of us would be so different today. And could I just encourage you that if you grew up in a home where your parents did encourage you, even when you failed and all those things, you better get on the phone today when you leave here and just thank them. Thank them for being parents that encouraged you in every season of your life. I, I didn't grow up sort of in a home like that. My father was incapable of encouraging me because he was never encouraged himself. And so he was not able to do that for me. And I, and I wonder how different we would be today if we actually grew up in a home where our parents encouraged us rather than always telling us to achieve. Achieve. Achieve and achieve. Our world would be a different place today. The church should be the place where encouragement finds its home because we have Jesus Christ. It's the place where anyone in the world can come, be a part of, and because Jesus is at the center of a church community, it should be the place where people receive encouragement. How do we do that? How do we actually tangibly do that as Christians. Today we're going to continue in our series in Acts chapter 11. We're going to finish up the chapter and you're going to meet the church of Antioch, the very first Gentile Christian church. And it's in this young church where you're going to see that what made them to be one of the greatest churches of their time in the first century was because they learned at the very outset of their church history, they learned at the very outset how to be an encouraging body to one another. And we're going to learn today how we can do that for ourselves and our own personal lives with people that we love and care for, but we're really going to learn how we can do that as a church, how we can function as a church. Because I'm here to tell you, Metro, God has amazing things planned for this community. Amen. And in order for us to get there, really, you got to hear me on this. Everyone online, everyone over there at the gym, you got to hear me. Everyone in the nursery, in order for us to get there, we have to be encouraging 
one another together. If we're not going to embrace what the church of Antioch embraced in the first century, we don't have hope for the future for Metro Community Church. And so I hope that you'll listen. And most of all, I hope that you'll learn to participate. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 11. Let's look at verses 19 to 30. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment in prayer. So God, we come to you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to reside in each and every one of us. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, would you help us to open this text and God, I pray that it would be you speaking to us, teaching us how we can be an encouraging community. And so, God, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. I really love how this passage starts out. Remember back a few chapters ago when Stephen was martyred for his faith? He was stoned to death. And as he was stoned to death, what began to happen was there was this huge persecution that broke out in Jerusalem. So much so that a lot of the Jewish Christians decided to leave because it was too dangerous for them to stay in Jerusalem. And so there was this diaspora that was happening uh, all over Gentile territory. Jews were moving there. And, and what was sort of a scattering from persecution, what I love what Luke is doing here, the writer of Acts, is that what he's reminding us is that though when you look at it with human lenses, it would appear to be a scattering from persecution. But when you put on the lens of the Holy Spirit, you see this as being a scattering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because that's what was happening. These people were being scattered, but as they were being scattered, what happened? They started to share with people who Jesus Christ is. And what began to happen was that people started to believe. And so what they did was that the city of Antioch was one of the first places where Gentile Christianity began to spread. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire only dwarfed by Rome and, uh, and Alexandria, had about a population of about 300,000 people. Today, Antioch is a real small town in Turkey uh, called Antakya with a population of about 40,000 people. And you may not know this, but a few years ago, our church went to Turkey to minister to Syrian refugees. And what you don't know is that they were in Antakya. And Pastor Kevin and the team were actually ministering in the church in Antioch that we're looking at right now. 
pretty amazing stuff, right? And I, and I forgotten really about that until uh, Kevin reminded me this week. Back in the first century, though Antakya is a small, small city today, back in the first century, it was a booming city. It was a commercial and political center. Antioch also had a very large Jewish population because of the diaspora, and historians estimate anywhere between 15 to about 25% of the population were actually Jewish people. That probably comes up to about 22,000 to about 65,000 Jewish people lived in Antioch. It was a morally challenged city as there were temple prostitutes for locals and for foreigners to engage in as, as they see fit, and so it was a bit morally compromising, and though it was a city with loose morals, what really was some of the most beautiful things that were happening in Antioch was that these Greeks, these Gentiles, although they believed in many different types of gods because they were polytheist in their understanding of God, they were willing to worship and give their lives to the one God if he promised them life after death. It was the perfect landscape in which the gospel message was able to spread through all of Antioch. And that's what these young Christians did. They went and they started sharing. And these Gentile Christians who was willing to give their lives to a, one God rather than many gods started to do that. And God started doing some amazing things. It was the first place, it was the first, it was where the word Christians came from. It was birth in Antioch. And it didn't fully become accepted until about the second century. It was the home of Gentile Christianity, and none of us, I think, would be here today if it wasn't for the significance of what happened here in the church of Antioch around 64 AD. It was a fantastic, fantastic time in the history of the church. And what we learned here from the very beginning of this church uh, as it started in its DNA was this amazing ability to encourage each other. And so what did we learn from the church of Antioch that will help Metro Community Church ourselves in our own individual lives so that we too can be an encouraging presence to one another. What do we learn from the church of Antioch on how we can do that? The first thing that we learn from the church of Antioch is that an encouraging church perseveres rather than gives up. An, an encouraging church learns to persevere rather than give up. Look at verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Get the picture here. Barnabas probably volunteered to go to Antioch because he had a lot of experience sort of living in Gentile territory. And so he probably volunteered and said, hey, listen, I'll, I'll go. And so the, 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 the apostle said, yes, we need to send somebody here from Jerusalem to check out what's going on over there. And so, so Barnabas goes and he sees what's going on. And it says that he, was, he, he saw what God was doing. He was glad. And then because he saw what, he, what, what, what the early church was going through, this church here in Antioch, he encourages them by what? He encourages them to persevere. That's what he tells them to do. He says, you got to persevere. He's happy to see what they're doing. He's happy to see that they're excited to follow Jesus. And the very first thing he encourages them with is this. He says, you got to learn to persevere. And now how do we define perseverance? Perseverance is defined by what he says. He says that you and I need to learn to remain true to the Lord with all of our heart. That is what perseverance means. Now why would Barnabas choose to... Share that with the church of Antioch. That's the very first thing that comes out of his mouth. Because he knows that Christianity is not easy. It's hard. 
And though they may be excited about their faith in Jesus Christ, that there's going to come a time and a moment in their lives where they go through some difficulties as they ebb and flow through life, that they're going to go through some hard seasons. And he wants them to know that because Christianity isn't easy, that they need to persevere. But how do you persevere? You persevere when you remain true to the Lord with all your heart. You see, the world teaches perseverance by just hold on for dear life. Hold on for dear life. And a lot of us have adapted that. We hold on for dear life, but when we hold on for dear life, a lot of us, we do some terrible things to try to hold on for dear life. Some of us are so depressed because of our jobs, because of our marriages, whatever, that we drink ourselves to death. And for us, that is our holding on for dear life. We think that's perseverance, but it's not. Right? Some of us are struggling so much in our relationships, in our marriage, that we think perseverance is, is doing some other things that maybe our spouse won't do. And so when we go on business trips, we, we tend to compromise. And we think that's perseverance, but that's not perseverance, Metro. That's adultery. We think we're doing things to just kind of hang on. Barnabas is teaching this Gentile church that we are to persevere, meaning we are to remain true with all of our hearts to Jesus Christ. You see, some of you may be kind of new to this church, and as, as you've kind of explored Metro a little bit, there may be some really cool things you see about our church, and you like it, and as a result, you've been coming out maybe for a few weeks, maybe a few months, just kind of checking it out, but I want you to know, you better curb your enthusiasm because we ain't no perfect church. We have issues. I have issues. And I think what Barnabas saw in this early church is that they, they saw them locking arms and, and they were in this kumbaya mode. And he thought that was great. But he said, guys, you got to lower your expectations because there's going to come a moment in time you're not going to like each other. You're going to do certain things to one another, say some things to one another where you will really hurt each other and you won't like it. And he's telling them, don't give up. Don't leave. Don't leave the faith. You are to persevere. You are to remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. And that's a good word for us because I think for us, we need to realize that a church is a group of people with very imperfect people. And because of that, as we go through the, the, the years of us being a part of a church like this, gonna, there's going to come a time where you may not like some people in this church. That's normal. I mean, in a family, you don't like everyone in your family, especially like cousins and aunts and uncles, some of them, right? Some people you just don't like, but they're still a part of your family. Got to figure out, you can't say you're not my cousin no more. You're not my brother or my sister. I'm going to leave you. You can't do that. And what the word is this, we are to persevere. And so the word is that if we ever want to be an encouraging body today, we have to learn to persevere that if this is your church and you consider this to be your church, the way that we can encourage one another and what God would like to encourage you with today is to persevere. Don't give up. Don't leave because somebody says something to you that you don't like. Don't leave because maybe you're upset. Now, if God tells you to leave, that's different. But don't leave because of your own personal issues or somebody else's issues. Work it out. We got to learn to persevere. And I love Barnabas's first words that come out of his mouth. He says, persevere. Remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. Now, could I just ask you to take a little inventory of your own lives today? When the going gets tough, do you get tougher or do you give up? Or do you avoid it at all costs? I worry about the younger generation today. I really do. 
Because I've seen within them this thread that whenever the going gets tough, a lot of them, when they, they realize it's going to get tough, they avoid it at all costs. Or they just give up. And Paul says in Romans, he says, when you and I suffer, one of the beautiful things about suffering is that it builds what? Perseverance. Perseverance. And we don't know the things that we're forfeiting by giving up the things that we're forfeiting from God that God wants, to re- wants us to receive, this beautiful thing of learning what it means to persevere, the way Jesus persevered at Gethsemane, the way he persevered all the way up to the cross, that we are to persevere together, that we are to persevere no matter what we're going through in our lives. Is your marriage today on life support? Could I encourage you to persevere today? To persevere, you took a vow with your spouse before God at a, at a church, I hope, And you said that you'll be together with this person in sickness and in health for better or for worse, in plenty or in want, till death do you part. Now, I do believe that if there is actual, there are some cases where couples can get a divorce because of deep abuse or different things like that. But I think for the majority of us, that I find for so many folks today is that they just want to give up. They just want to say, let's just get a divorce. And you forget what God wants to teach you and how he wants to change you because it's never easy when two become one flesh. That's what marriage is, Genesis 2.24. It's never easy. Will you persevere today? Will you never give up? Do you hate your jobs? Now, some of you, actually, you need to quit your job. You do because your job is taking you away from your family, your marriage, a lot of other things. And maybe God didn't want you to be there, but you're there because it's providing great for your family right now. But I want to believe that the majority of us in this room, you're working in jobs that God is really happy with. And just because you don't get along with a coworker or your boss, you know, your job was never meant to be easy. A lot of times we think marriage is supposed to be easy, so we're going to get married. You know how hard marriage is? Marriage is the hardest thing in this world. There's nothing harder in this world that you and I can, can pursue than marriage. It is the hardest institution that you and I can be involved in. And our job, sometimes we think, oh, yeah, I'm going to work in this great job. And we think it's all going to be great, that we're never going to struggle at our jobs and things like that. I mean, come on. We're going to go through seasons where work just really stinks, where our boss may not be very good to us, and and we're going to struggle a little bit. But can you persevere? Persevere. Remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. That's what that means. Could you remain true to the Lord with all of your heart, even in your own marriage, no matter what? Are you single today and you're sick and tired of being single? Every year you're like, I want to get married, but it's not happening. You're sick and tired of it. You're like, God, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And so you get on Tinder. You get on all these different types of apps. And you start to just sort of compromise and start to have casual sex partners and engage in that way, thinking that maybe perhaps one of the casual sexual partners will like you and maybe you'll get married. Will you remain true to the Lord and learn to persevere with all of your heart? It's easy to go our way and say, we're just going to do it. But Barnabas said, remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. Remain true to the Lord with all of your heart. Are you struggling with the deep emotional wounds in your life? Maybe depression. Are you afraid to go to counseling? Because maybe you think it's a negative connotation. It has a negativity to you. My hope is that you'd be able to embrace your own brokenness today and you would see counseling as an opportunity for you to learn and become a student of your life so that you can grow 
and soar in freedom in the, and live the life in which God wants you and I to live today. I see a counselor. A lot of us in our church sees counselors. It's an important thing because you are to learn why you are the way you are in some ways. And I hope that you will get excited about becoming a student of your life. The very first thing that Barnabas encourages the church of Antioch to do, he says, persevere, don't give up. Many, many years ago, at the beginning of our church, we had a staff member who had a very broken marriage. And I wasn't really sure if they should have gotten married because they were so broken as they were dating. And, uh, and I struggled. Uh, I was work- walking with a couple as best as I possibly could. And uh, they, their relationship was so bad that they decided to separate for an entire year. Then they eventually got back together, and then it still was bad, and then they separated f- for a second time for an entire year, Metro. And he's no, lo- they're no, longer, he's no longer on staff anymore, but I remember that second time that happened, and he just said, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this. He was in his counselor's office with his wife, and he says, we're done. I'm done. I'm out of here. And I looked at his eyes, and I knew he was done. I talked to the wife, and I said, he's done. I don't think it's going to work out. You should prepare yourself to divorce him. I don't advocate it, but he said he's done. And you know what she said to me? She said, we're not done, Pastor Peter. We're not done. I believe in prayer, and I'm going to pray for this next year while we're apart that God would be able to resurrect our marriage. I said, but you've been praying already. You've been praying. You prayed that the year ago when he was away from you. I was just thinking, really? You're going to do that again? We're going to pray. I'm going to pray. She had her friends pray. They prayed. They came back together. And their marriage worked out. And it's really amazing kind of how they've been soaring over the years. I got together with them about six months ago. They no longer are part of our church. And uh, I got together with them. They were in town. And I sat down with them. I said, how are you guys doing? And she says, we have our ups and downs like every couple's do, but it's so different from the past. And you know what she said, which I love? She said, you know what? It's so amazing now, Peter, because I finally have a friend now in my husband. And I said, that's it? You see, friendship is the key to a healthy marriage. Because think about it. Think about your friends. What's necessary for a friendship to be strong? Respect. Right? If you don't respect your friends, you know what's going to end up happening? You ain't going to have any more friends because they will leave you. They will drop you like that because respect is so critical in order for a friendship to exist. What's the first thing that's often lost when somebody gets married? It's respect for their spouse. They will say things to each other that they would never use that tone and language to their friends. And so they've been able to nurture that, and there's this perseverance. And I love it because why they separated for those two years, they remained true to the Lord with all their hearts. They didn't go out and date other people and kind of say, let's see what's out there. They remained true to the Lord with all of their heart, and God brought them together. At Metro Community Church, God's calling us to persevere, to never give up. In your life, whatever that looks struggling, whatever you might be struggling with, there is something so beautiful when you are willing to persevere with God. So persevere. Learn to persevere. Stay faithful. Remain faithful to God with all of your heart, no matter what. 
no matter what you might be feeling. Second thing that we learn from the church of Antioch is that an encouraging church strives to be good rather than great. An encouraging church strives to be good rather than great. Now listen, we live in a culture that embraces greatness all the time, right? And let me just define greatness the way the word defines it. I don't think God, it's not to say you are and I are to never strive to be great. Because I think there is parts of greatness that is good, right? But oftentimes greatness in the world's eyes is very bad. Because a lot of times greatness, what happens is that people want to be great. And what it does is that it promotes a very self-centered way of living. Where you only see things from your own perspective. Where you only care about yourself. And great people only want to be great because and not, a lot of times they only feel great when they can make other people feel not very great. A lot of you, if you like to win and you're competitive like me, it's, it's tough, man. Because you want to win. You don't want two people to win. That's not winning. Winning is that one person wins. Right? And you want to win. You want to be great. And sometimes in our pursuit to want to be great, we're reminded how not great we are. That's not how God wants you to live your life. I know your parents taught you to be great, but God doesn't want you to be great. He wants you to be good. Look at how, we, how they describe Barnabas in verse 24. Verse 24. It says, he, Barnabas, was a good man. And how do we define good in God's economy? There it is, right? Good equals full of the Holy Spirit and faith. That's what it means to be good. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And as a result of that, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Barnabas, the dude was so good, right? He was such an encourager. Do you know that wasn't his real name? Barnabas was not his real name. You know what Barnabas' real name was? Joseph. But because he was such an encourager, the apostles gave him the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's his nickname. I mean, what could, had you guys ever grew up with a nickname? Anyone give you a nickname at all? What were those nicknames? I just think, well, it would have been so great if somebody called me Barnabas. I didn't have any great nicknames growing up. I had some terrible nicknames growing up. Right? When I worked in the marketplace, you know what my nickname was? You know what people at my jobs called me? Namu Namja. That means tree boy in Korean. Because they looked at me and they said, man, you're so tall. We'll call you tree boy. How do you say that in Korean? So I told them, uh, I, think it, I think you would say it, Namu Namja. And so they would just walk around, like, hey, Namu Namja, come over here. Namu Namja, Namu Namja. Right? That was my nickname at work. You know, uh, Suo Hwang, who doesn't work here anymore, uh, you know, she gave me a nickname. She wrote a song about it once, and she sang it at staff, you know, a poem. You know what my nickname was? You know, you would think as a pastor, it might be something very spiritual. She called me the pastor with loose morals. She was being encouraging, guys. She wasn't trying to be denigrating. All right, so Barnabas' nickname was, that was his nickname, son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. I mean, it was so awesome. It was so awesome. And what made this guy so good? It was because of his character. It was because of his integrity. It was because of his generosity. Remember the time when Saul, after he, after he has that moment and he comes to Jesus Christ and he goes to Jerusalem and the apostles see him, they're like, no, we're not letting that guy in. This is a trick. He's trying to get us to, he's trying to, get us to open the door. And he's going to arrest all of us. Remember that? And then who saves him? Who saves the, delivers the apostles? It was Barnabas. Barnabas spent some time with Paul. And so he goes into the room with the apostles and he says, hey, listen, I spent some time with this guy. He's legit. God's really done something special in his heart. You should welcome him. And how, why did they open the door? Why did they unlock the door? Because Barnabas was a good man. 
He was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. They trust him and say, well, listen, if Barnabas trusts him, then we can trust him. And they opened the door. And that moment, Paul stayed with the disciples for a while. And that moment to learn more about Jesus, to learn about his life and the things that he taught was so integral for him to be Paul the apostle to the Gentiles. Right? Remember how generous Barnabas was? When you look at this, you, in the beginning of Acts, what does it say? It says that, uh, that Barnabas was uh, so generous that he sold his home and he gave all the money to the apostles. It says, give to anyone who has need in the church. Barnabas was a good man. God wants you and I to be good. He doesn't want you to be great because great often steals the glory from God. Greatness often takes away everything and really focuses on ourselves. Greatness, sometimes as we strive to live to be great, is that we want to be great in such a way to prove to ourselves because we struggle so much to believe that we are and we have low self-esteem that we need to feel great. We need to feel the affirmations of other people. And so we don't live our lives to glorify God and give God the affirmation. We live our life so that we can receive it. So God wants you to be good. He wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only takes full residency, fullness in our lives if we choose to be good. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. You want to be full of faith today? You want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, then just strive to be good. Don't be great because when you try to be great, you're reminded many times of how how not great you really are. And that's a hard reminder. When you're good, you're content with life. Because you're content with God and how he made you. When you want to be great, sometimes you feel like God made some mistakes along the way when he created you. And that's a really sad place for us to be today. God calls us to be good, like Barnabas, not great. The third thing we learn is uh, from the church of Antioch, that an encouraging church empowers capable people rather than be threatened by them, Right? An encouraging church empowers capable people rather than be threatened by them. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I need you to know that when Paul was in Jerusalem, there was a lot of stuff that was happening. And and the disciples, they told him, they said, listen, you stay here any longer. We're going to get killed. You need to go back to Tarsus. And so he went to Tarsus, and you know how many years elapsed from chapter 9, elapsed from chapter 9 to chapter 11? 10 years. He was in Tarsus for 10 years. And so now here is Barnabas, and he's now in Antioch. He sees what's happening in the church. Good things are happening. And he says, you know what? I need to get Paul. And, uh, and he did that because I know Paul told him when Ananias came and prayed for him so that he could receive his sight. Ananias, what did he say in Acts? He says, Paul, I give you your sight back. God gives you your sight back because you are now the apostle to what? To the Gentiles. And so I know Barnabas remembered that. And as he remembered it, he realized he is in the first Gentile church. And so he knew he had to go and get Paul, right? And so he decided to go from Antioch to Tarsus. You know how far that was? A hundred miles metro. They didn't have a car. I don't like driving a hundred miles. He had to walk. He had to probably take a donkey and, and take the donkey there. It probably took days upon days upon days to get there, talk to Paul, and then bring him back and take the journey back. What I love about Barnabas is that he did this. He found capable people. He empowered Paul, and he never felt threatened by him because he should have felt threatened by him. Paul was a lot more talented and more gifted than Barnabas. Paul was a lot more educated. Paul could preach better. He can can exegete the passages better. Paul was a lot more gifted. What I love about Barnabas is that he didn't care about that. Why? Because Barnabas was good. He wasn't great. He didn't care. 
All he cared about was that God's church needed to be blessed. And he knew that he couldn't do it on his own. And he needed somebody to come and to help him. And he knew that that was Paul. Could he have picked lesser capable people? Yes. But Barnabas said, I need to get the best. You see, how different would our lives be today is that when we meet capable people, rather than feel threatened by them, that we just empower them. Oh, that would be different, wouldn't it? I think our lives would be filled with so much more peace because sometimes, you know, we, we get threatened. Like suppose somebody comes and he's a really good guitar player. Maybe you play a guitar on the, on the worship team, right? And this guy's like super good or this girl's super good. And you're thinking like, oh, no. Like if I like empower this person to play, I may never get playing time on stage, right? And so a lot of you, you feel threatened by somebody like that. And you're like, I don't know if I want this person to be on the worship team. So maybe I'll just hold him back and tell him he's got to be on probation or something, Right? Can we be good like Barnabas and see somebody and say, you have a gift. God's given you a gift. You need to use it to bless this ministry. And even if it means you taking a seat, would you do it? Oh, man, that's tough, isn't it? But that's what an encouraging church does. An encouraging church empowers capable people rather than feels threatened by them. And what I love about this is that when you look at Barnabas' life, you find that in the beginning it says Barnabas and Paul's missional journey in Acts. We'll see that as we go to verse, chapter 12, chapter 13, 14, 15, and so forth. But then somewhere along the line, you've, the headings change. Barnabas is no longer in there. It says Saul, Paul's missionary journeys. Paul takes over. He takes over the ministry for Barnabas, and Barnabas takes a back seat, and Barnabas is okay with that. He's okay with it. Why? Because at the end, Barnabas just wants to be good. And he cares for God. It's all about God's glory, not his glory. Amen. And he's willing to do that. And I hope that we can. You know, good people are the, most, they're the best encouragers out there. You can only encourage others if you're good. If you think you're great, you don't encourage others because you think you're great. Right? You want all the encouragement. You don't want to give any encouragement. Good people are so focused on giving the encouragement. And Barnabas saw, remembered Saul, and he got him and brought him back and says, you lead. I need you to lead with me. And eventually, Barnabas realized that Paul needed to take over. It was such a beautiful thing. Our jobs would be so different if we work with people like that, right? That if your boss saw your potential and just said, wow, you know what? Come. And empowers you. What would you do? I guarantee you, you would be faithful to that boss. I guarantee you, you would follow that boss wherever they wanted you to go. Because you know that this is a person that empowers you rather than feels threatened by you. Because a lot of you might have gone and worked in places where you've had a boss who felt threatened by you or coworkers that felt threatened by your abilities and they just tried to, you know, sabotage your advancement in, 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 in the company. And can I just encourage any of you here who are leaders in your jobs, find capable people. Don't feel threatened by them. Empower them. And you'll see how quickly your leadership starts to soar in that company where people start to follow you. You start to see how people will start saying great things about you like Barnabas. It's okay. Even if they succeed you and they become in a higher position, don't feel threatened by that because God's got you at the end of the day. And you find your significance and your worth in who God is and not in your advancements. Amen? In this church, don't worry about who's serving at what leadership position because maybe you want to serve in certain leadership positions and you want to have that. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. But if there are more capable people that God brings, don't feel threatened by them. Empower them and let them serve with you. That's how we become an encouraging church. So last Sunday, you know, because I was in here, I saw church online. 
My wife and I, we saw half the service here on, uh, on, uh, on, our, on, our, on our phones at the hotel room. And then we had to check out. So we saw the other half in my car, right, as we were going. And uh, we were driving out. We were listening to it. And, you know, didn't Pastor Doug preach an amazing sermon last Sunday? Was that fire or what? Right? Woo! Man, I was like, I was so convicted in the car. And I even heard the sermon on Thursday. A couple months ago, I got together with Doug. I tried to get together with our young pastors. And I said to Doug, I said, you know, I've noticed now the past four or five times you've been preaching, you're very reserved when you come up. I was like, why do you do that? He said, well, because I don't want to look goofy. You know, I'm kind of loud. You know, I just, I think it's better to be more reserved. (laughs) Yeah. And I said to him, I said, Doug, why would you think that's better? I said, Doug, you got to be yourself. You can't be somebody that you're not. I said, part of you thinking you might be goofy is really what makes you so charismatic and so charming. It's what makes you so beautiful. And I know you have a, a really loud laugh, like people can hear it from miles away. But that's part of your charm. That's part of who you are. It's how God made you. It's like, just be yourself. And man, he was himself last Sunday. When I saw it, I was almost welling up with tears. I was driving home, just seeing him preach, giving it all. You guys saw the real Doug Cho, and he gave such a powerful word on the revelations of God, didn't he, huh? Many of you still remember the certain points that he gave. And I was in the car, and I was just so happy to see that. And I just said to myself, and I did, I really did. I said, if I get hit by a truck, Metro is still going to thrive. It's going to do good, if not better, without me. Because we got people like Doug. We got people like Mike. We got people like Clayton. We got people like Ancy and Sunita and IJ, Pastor Shirley. And then we got our two big spiritual Mac daddies, Pastor David Hosang and Pastor Kevin Swanson, leading this church. I'm so grateful that we're a church and that we have a leadership here in this church where we're about empowering capable people and not feel threatened by them, not feel threatened by their gifts and their gifts and be like, well, I can't let them do this because then if they do, suppose people may like them more than they like me. I'm so glad that we have a culture here where we can just empower capable people and just let them lead. And let God take its course here in the life of this church. That's how we can continue to stay and be an encouraging body. And I hope in your own life, in your own personal life, as you serve here in this church, as you serve in whatever workplace that you serve in today, that that is the heart that you can have. Because you are a good person, because you know how to persevere rather than give up and remain true to the Lord with all of your heart, that you're willing to empower capable people and then never feel threatened by them. And that you would find so much joy when you see them soar. And let them be how God created them to be. And that you can play a little part in that. Helping them to do that. That's encouraging. That truly is. And I hope we can do that together as a church. And the very last thing we learn from the church of Antioch is that an encouraging church cares for other communities rather than just our own. An encouraging church cares for other communities rather than just our own. It says in verse 27, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. 
This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. What I love about this simply is this. Because back in chapter 11, when Doug shared with us last Sunday, Peter had to share his defense to the to the Christians in Jerusalem. They said, why would you go to Cornelius' house, a Gentile? And what did, what did Peter say? The Holy Spirit's with the Gentiles. He's doing great things there. And when Peter said that, they said, well, then you know what? We can't stop it. If God's pouring himself out to the Gentiles, then we are to embrace the Gentiles as well. And so they bless him. They send people to go and to minister in some ways. And they do that. And now what happens is that we see this young church of Antioch when this prophecy was being lived out during the time of Claudius and there was severe famines and people in the Jerusalem church were starving to death. What did they do? Did they say, oh, no, no, we just got to take care of our own. We got to have a reserve fund and make sure we're okay so that we can get through this famine. What did they do? No, they gave money and they supported the mother church. You see, it wasn't just about their own congregation. It wasn't just about the people in their own walls. They said, you know, part of what God's doing here, and we're thankful for this, but he wants us to go out and to be a kingdom builder and to establish God's kingdom. And if that means blessing the mother church, we got to bless the mother church as well. And I love that, that this young church knew from its early days how important it was to love people outside their walls, other communities of faith, other Christians that love Jesus. And that's what they did. And I want you to know that if we're going to be an encouraging church here at Metro Community Church, we have to care for our own, yes. But we have to learn to care for those outside these walls. Because if we don't learn to do that, Metro, we cannot be the kind of encouraging body that God wants you and I to be. Could you imagine what the mother church experienced when they got help from the young church, from these Gentiles? Could you imagine what happened to Peter and those guys when they just started realizing, oh my goodness, we're being helped by these Gentile Christians. We thought we could help them, but they're the ones helping us. How encouraged they were in their own faith. Metro, I hope that we can always care for those outside these walls, and we've done that from the very first days. We support Metro Community Center, which is part of our church, but it's supporting teens and other people in Englewood and supporting them and loving them the best we can. Zamela USA, we've helped tens and thousands of men and children and women in South Africa through your support, through this church. We have missionaries in this church. We have Linda Swanson, who is a missionary. Her job is to do the ministry of Barnabas to all these missionaries around the world. She does it in so many dozens and dozens and dozens of missionaries. She pours into them, encourages them to persevere, encourages them to be good, it's beautiful. We support Scott Kwok in Thailand, who's out there, and, and he's doing a great ministry there. We support, uh, I call her Chonga, that's her Korean name, uh, but some of you know her to be Jenny. She's on staff at Campus Crusade for Christ, and she's impacting hundreds and hundreds of college students' lives all around the country. We are part of that. We can be proud of that as a church. Program Pines, which is a retreat center for our, for our denomination, they invite thousands of people to come and to receive God Every single year. New City Kids, they'll be here next week sharing a little about what God's doing. Hundreds of kids in Jersey City, they're impacting. They're able to graduate and go to college, and a lot of them are able to do that knowing the love of God in their lives. We've supported Promised Land Covenant Church, Pastor Michael Carrion's church for years. For a few, year, few years when they were struggling financially, Elements Church in the Bronx, which is a hip-hop church in the Bronx, which is pretty cool. Metro Hope Church in Harlem, we've supported we support our denomination with the planning of other churches. We also support them with the uh, helping churches that are truly struggling around the country. We support that financially, we do. We support Covenant World Relief, which is the scattering of the gospel to some of the most vulnerable people throughout the entire world. 
We have so much, I think, as a church to be thankful for of the types of people that we are supporting and blessing in an amazing way. And the most important thing now is that we want to build a church building. We're hoping that in maybe the next several months we'll be up to here from this city. But we don't want to build a building that's just a church that we use one day a week for church at its maximum capacity. God's called us to build a community center for the very first time for this city so that this building that we spend millions of dollars in in the future would be used at its maximum capacity every single day, impacting people's lives here in our community, yes, but also people outside these walls. And I love that God has called us to be a part of something like that and so encouraging. Kevin told me that when he was in Antakya in the church of Antioch and he was preaching there and he met the staff there and he met the people in the church, he said the church is still doing these four things today. These four things they did 2,000 years ago, the church in Antioch is still doing these four things in Antioch today. And you know who the senior pastor is of that church? It's crazy, man. Korean dude. Pastor Jacob. Not a Korean American, a Korean that gave up his life, went there, and had to learn a new language. And he's serving this historic church that became the gateway for Christianity for the Gentile community, which you and I are a part of today. I hope that we can be an encouraging community. So, you know, celebrating my 45th year yesterday of life. And, you know, when I started this church, I was, I was uh, 29 years old. I was young. And I know somebody's like, wow. <laughs> I talked to Kevin. This guy's like, yo, Kevin, man, I'm going to be 45 can you believe it? And he looked at me like, oh, my God, you're going to be 45? I was like, what are you looking at me like that for? You're older than me, right? Like, why, why are you thinking, like, I'm so old? But I started this thing when I was 29 years old. And, guys, I had, like, no idea what I was really doing. I really didn't. And I started reminiscing and reflecting upon this uh, a couple weeks ago, just really thinking about this journey that God has put me on. When I, when I went to seminary, my very first year in seminary, God gave me the vision for Metro Church. It was a crazy vision. I never thought it could, it could happen, perhaps, and especially with somebody like me. So I struggled with that insecurity so much when I shared it with my fellow friends in seminary. I mean, they didn't really say this outright to me, but they kind of just said, hey, man, you're, you're in seminary. And when you graduate, people don't plant churches when they graduate. And, you know, for me, I just felt like this is what God was calling me to do. But I struggled with that. And I, and I remember that I was leading a small group at my church. And, and we were doing this Habitat for Humanity one Saturday. And I was paint, we were helping paint in this house. And as I was doing that, this one woman came up to me. And she said, Peter, um, would, you, would it be okay if I can move back with you when you graduate? And can I help you plant Metro Community Church? I remember thinking, Why? Why would you want to leave California and move to New Jersey to do this? But Ju Hong decided to give her life for you. And she was a part of our church for many, many years. Then she moved to Brooklyn, and she's now a hospital chaplain doing really good over there. But that encouraged me so much that, a, that somebody like her, gifted like her, would want to come with me and start this church. And then I remember, like, a couple weeks later, I was on the phone. One of my friends, he hurt himself in a bike accident. And so uh, I called him. He lived out here in New Jersey. And just wanted to check in, see if he was doing all right. And as, 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 as he was sharing some stuff, he started talking about church. And I just felt this was the right time. And I just said, hey, man, would you be interested in, like, coming and being a part of this church that I feel like God's calling me to plant? And he said, well, can you tell me more about it? 
And we talked for two hours. And then we hung up the phone. And then in the evening, we talked for two more hours in one day. Now, you need to know, men don't talk four hours on the phone <laughs> in a day. We just don't do that. We talked for four hours. And after we got, he got off the phone, he goes, I need a week to pray about it. So give me a week to pray about this. I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. He called me the very next morning. I guess he slept. And he woke up and he called me and he said, hey, I'm going to do it. God said, go for it. And I was like, wow, really? His name is Evan Yu. And, uh, and you know what he said to me? He wasn't married then. He goes, but you know what the cool thing is, Peter? That uh, my fiance will probably be a part of this as well. And she's a children's pastor, Pastor Shirley. I'm thinking, yeah, we got a children's pastor. We haven't even started yet. But we have a children's pastor. We have a guy, Evan, he can do worship. We have Jew who can do arts. We're set. Oh, man, that encouraged me so much. Encouraged me to move on. Just stop dealing with my doubts. Then when we finally came here and we started in the first five years, I, I almost burnt myself out to death because I, if I'm just going to be honest, I wanted to be great. I didn't want to be good. I wanted to be great. And I literally killed myself. And there was this person who was the president of our leadership team. She's, she's our head elder at our church at the time. Her name is Stephanie Rosick. And she saw me. And whenever she wanted to share something very serious with me, she would always start off her, her words with the word friend. Friend, you need to go on a sabbatical. Friend, you're not doing well. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. It was a great encouragement. And during that time, it was, remember the staff member I told you that was struggling in their marriage? Well, he had to take a leave of absence right before I was going to take my sabbatical. And he oversaw Sunday services, and I couldn't do that. I couldn't just have him leave, and then I had to leave. I just said, well, I won't take my sabbatical. And I shared it with my discipleship group. And then Scott Kwok, who's in Thailand now, after I said that, he comes into my office, and he says, Peter, you need to go on the sabbatical because God told me that if you don't, something bad's going to happen to you. And I said, but I can't go, Scott. I can't, you know. We don't have anyone to oversee Sunday services. And he says, I'll do it. Don't worry, I'll do it for the three months. And he, I was able to go, and that, that sabbatical, it changed my life forever because you guys know I picked up a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it changed my life, and I realized that the reason why I wanted to be so great was because I was so emotionally messed up. And I needed God to cleanse me. And he did. I came back and I told the leadership team, I said, okay, here's the deal, man. I was like, if you want me to do this church the right way, I need two things. Number one, I need to have a personal assistant who can be my gatekeeper, who can kind of keep me, because it was hard for me to say no to people. So I just said, I need, I need to, we need to hire somebody to help me say no to, right? Or just at least wait a little bit longer and kind of honors my schedule. And then I said, the most important thing we need to do is we need to hire an executive pastor because I can't do this alone. I need another senior leader. And they said, sure. And then they brought Pastor Kevin Swanson here many months later. And Kevin, for the past seven years as he's been here, seven, I forget even exactly how many years, he has been literally Barnabas in the flesh. He really has been, not just to me, but I know to all of you. God has brought a Barnabas to our church. And really, um, in August, God is calling him, I mean, in, in September, God's calling him to, to move back home with his family in Chicago. And now Barnabas is, is leaving us. And I'm so excited about the future of our church, about where God's leading us. But you know what? 
I think there's something so providential about what's happening in the life of our church right now because God wants to raise up new Barnabases to take us forward, to do things that we never thought we could do. But we have to learn truly to be an encouraging body. We have to learn to persevere and not give up. We have to learn to be good, not great. When we cannot be afraid to empower capable people rather than be threatened by them. And we definitely need to learn to care for those in our church, but also outside these walls. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that today, that many of you here today, that you would be open to being a Barnabas and to be a son and a daughter of encouragement to this church body so that we can continue to move forward because Metro, our best days are still ahead of us. They're not behind us. And what God's going to do in the next several months, even in the next several months of our church, is something I believe that hasn't really been done in the history of our country, where a local government might give a government building to a church. There's a reason why there's a separation between church and state. And you guys have to keep praying. Don't talk about it in the city, but keep praying for us because it's happening right now. And there's some amazing stuff happening. And so I need you guys to pray. But here's the thing. If we're going to keep moving forward and do the things that God wants us to do, we all have to come together and say we're going to persevere together. We're going to be good. We're not going to be great. We're going to be good. We're going to empower capable people in this church and rather than feel threatened by them. And we're certainly going to continue to be a church that cares for our own but also cares for the people outside of these walls. May we be this encouraging body. I want to thank you for being a part of this church, for serving and loving and caring and doing the best you can for these past several weeks. I want to thank you, and I just ask all of us to come and journey and be with us on this next stage of our church's life because God's going to lead us to places where all of us are going to say and scratch our head and say, all glory be to God, because there is no way any person could make something like this happen. Only God can do it. And I invite you to be a part of this journey. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. I want you to have a moment now with God. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to make it very specific today. I want you to commit to this church, to be an encourager. And maybe some of you have been coming out for a little while. Maybe some of you just kind of come on Sundays. Um, But this is your opportunity to come and commit. Commit to being an encourager here. Commit to persevering. That even though sometimes you might go through your ups and downs here, that you're going to say, you know what, God, as long as you have me, I'm going to persevere and I'm going to stay faithful to you with all my heart. Commit to being good, not great. That you would be a man and a woman of character, of integrity, of perseverance, of generosity. Commit to empowering capable people as you lead this church rather than feel threatened by them. And always have a heart and a pulse for not just those in in our community, but those outside because there are millions and millions of people in this area that desperately need the love of Jesus Christ, and God has called us to be a part of that. And so why don't you go to him, and I want to encourage you to make a commitment today and tell God that you will be an encouraging force here at Metro Community Church, and then I'm going to close this in prayer. God, I do pray that you would help our church. Thank you, Lord, that you've called this church into existence 15 years ago. And God, we've come a long way 
through your grace and your mercy. But God, we've come to a point in our church's history, God, where we're crying out even more so than ever for your grace and your mercy to fall upon this church. Because God, we can't do it by ourselves. And like good old Barnabas, I pray, God, that you would help us to be agents of encouragement to one another and to this body. God, that you help us to be encouraging to our spouses, the people in our lives that we love and care for. But I pray that we would be an encouraging force here in this church. Teach us, Lord, to persevere, not give up. I pray that for the people in this church that have been coming here for a while, that they go all the way, that they would serve wholeheartedly, realizing, God, that they're invited to be a part of transformation, to build your kingdom every week. And I pray that they'd want to be fully invested in it. And so, God, would you teach all of us to be good, to strive to be good, not strive to be great. Because sometimes in the process of us trying to be great, we're reminded of how not great we really are. And God, may we not be afraid to empower capable people so that they can lead and even lead before, uh, after us and even better than us. And God, would you always help us to care for those, not just here, but outside these doors. So God, we're asking for, your, for you to bring unity in this church. We're asking for a power of your spirit to move, Lord, here in this community and in the community outside. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take. Can we just take that out? Uh, open up your app. Uh, the first one is I'm committing my life to Jesus for the very first time. If you've never done that, would you please check it off and say, Peter, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. I want to be a part of this community of encouragement. If you would like to do that, I, I, I pray that you would check that off. But also go out to the next table where one of our leaders will be there. They'd love to connect with you regarding this. Second, I'm going to commit to putting encouraging posts on social media for the season of Lent. Can I encourage you to do that? Social media sometimes can be such a, a divider, can it? There's so much hostility sometimes on social media. Now, I'm, I'm not asking you that you cannot speak your mind. Speak your mind. But could you say for the season of Lent during, until Easter that you're going to put up posts that's really affirming and encouraging? Because you can still speak your mind and still be encouraging, right? So that you would do that. Third, I'm going to receive prayer for perseverance today. Some of you need prayer to persevere. Some of you want to give up in maybe some area of your life. Would you come forward or, or in the back or as our prayer team comes that they'll love to minister to you to persevere. Fourth, please sign me up for partnership class on March 17th at 3.30 p.m. Part of being, a, uh, the best way for you to be an encourager is to be a partner in this church. And if you've been coming out for a while and you've attended the Connections Dinner, could I encourage you to uh, take the step of become, be a part of, a, uh, take the partnership class and learn what it means to be fully invested and be a full encourager here at Metro Community Church. It'll be at 3.30 uh, next Sunday at my home. Last, please sign me up for the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course starting on April 7th. This course changed my life. This book changed my life. I was never the same after. And I know that if you would go through this, if you've never gone through it, it would really impact your life, particularly your relationship with God, but also your relationships with the people that are very close to you.